And then Usher's going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us. And if you're here for the first, second, or third time, you've got that card with 8 million blanks in it, and you're like, there's no way that thing's getting filled up. Before the basket passes me, what do I do? Uh, don't worry, because as soon as we're done today, you can head out into the hub area. We've got a gift for you, just our way of saying thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, and we want you to leave encouraged, because you've been a huge encouragement to us. So... What's happening in the next half hour? We're doing things different. Let me explain it. Uh, for all of us in our lives, there's at least one area of injustice or something that's been done wrongly to us uh, that we've carried. And part of lo loving God, having an understanding of a relationship with God knows that God knows about that also. So as you've carried it, God has watched you carry it. Uh, and this morning, what we want to do is we want to hear what God has to say to us about the injustice that we've carried. Uh, prayer, which is what we're talking about today, is us talking to God, but also us hearing from God. And so we're going to close today with our prayer ushers up here uh, to speak into your life the things that God has put on their heart uh, about the injustices that you've carried. So if you're like, I'm not prepared for this, that's fine. All you need to do is just walk up to the front uh, at the end of the service and say, this is what I've carried. Uh, and they're going to say, okay, God, what do you want to say to this? man or this woman today about what they've carried. And then they're going to be a conduit for God's word into your life. You're thinking, well, they're going to judge me. They're going to tell me everything that I did wrong. No, no, no. This is a morning of good news. Uh, cold news, but good news. Uh, and we want to experience what God has for us in the areas of our lives that he knows about. We're also taking communion. All that's going to happen in a little bit. Uh, but, but before we get to that, we talked about this uh, in news. A bunch of us are wearing these shirts today. We're launching a new series today. And all also a life group that's going to go on with that. So Tuesday night, dinner, uh, child care at our Ashland and Fowler campus. Uh, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about this today. And then Tuesday night, you all get to talk back uh, and clap back on everything that, that how we're looking at this stuff hits you. And what we're talking about are things that Jesus loves. So there's lists on the internet about, about stuff that people say or things that people like. And if you fit into that group of people, you probably like these things. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to start this series off with a category that all of us in some way have fit in. And that is parenting. Either you are a parent or you were raised by someone or something that got you where you are now. So we're going to watch a video about a bunch of things that parents say. And this isn't just going to be a sit there and watch video and not do anything, kind of like a Ravens fan yesterday. You had nothing to cheer about. <laughs> if you're TiVoing the game, nobody TiVos anymore. Get with the times. But how we're going to do this is the video starts and everybody, I'm going to do this too, we're all going to raise our hand. And as soon as something is said that either you have said as a parent, a caregiver of little kids, or has been said to you, you put your hand down. Okay? So we're all going to start with our hands up. As soon as something is said that applies to you, the hand goes down. We clear on this? Awesome. Let's roll the tape. Um, what are you planning on doing with that booger? Don't make me count to three. One. Two. Two and a half. Two and three quarters. I'm not bluffing. Not on a school night. Stay where I can see you. Hold your pants up. I gave him a bath last night. You need to go potty? Do you need to go potty? Do you have to tinkle? Boop boop. TT. Number two. If you don't need to go potty, then why are you holding your wee wee? You do not talk to your mother that way. Do not run in this house. I'm gonna get you. Yeah, honey, I, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Do not put your tongue on that. Uh-uh. You cannot pee there. All right, you've used up all your screen time. No more screen time, young man. Inside voices, please. I mean it. Do not jump off that. Uh-uh. That is a nice chair. I don't know why. Do not ask me why. Because I said so. What do you say? Yes what? Yes 
Ma'am? Yes, sir? Please? Can you say thank you? Do you want to go to timeout? Timeout right now. Go to your room. What did I just say to you? What did I just say? You wait till dad gets home. Do not make me tell you again. Can you go get daddy's shoes? I'll time you. All right, who's going to be in the clean play club? How do you know you don't like it? You've never even tried it. Two more bites. The crust is the best part. We do not toot at the table. You could not possibly have done your homework already. Are you telling me the truth? Do not tell me a story. Did you brush? I'm gonna feel your toothbrush. Don't forget to flush. I don't hear a flush. Who didn't flush? Do not touch anything. Hey babe, is there any more C-A-N-D-Y? What about R-E-D-V-E-L-V-E-T-C-A-K-E? Where's your shoe? Why do you only have one shoe? We're leaving, get your shoes. Where are your pants? Who's in his big boy undies? Look at those big boy undies. Oh, let me get that. Can you use your words? I can't understand you, can you use your words? I don't know, go ask your dad. Go ask your mom. You buckled? Why are you not buckled? Do not make me stop this car. I will turn this car around. We will get there when we get there. Why didn't you go when we stopped? Quiet! Shh! So how do you guys do screen time? Get down! We've been starting with an hour. James William Douglas Daniel the first. She never acts like this. She's just fussy. She just hasn't had her nap today. Car seat. All the hands are down, just like first service. So if you've ever been parented or you are a parent, you've said one of those things. And what we're looking at in this series about things that Jesus loves are things that he loves that become part of our lives as we love Jesus. He makes the list, we follow the list, he's the boss, we're glad to be last on the list and spend our lives lifting other people up. But there are things that Jesus loves that he lays out for us that we follow. And the first one that we're going to look at today might be the most difficult. And that's prayer. Prayer. I think for all of us, there's this thing inside of us that tells us that we should pray. MC Hammer tells us that we should pray. And for the rest of us, like starting the new year, and we filled out our goals last week, like prayer is a thing I'm going to do more and more. And then whether it's three minutes or three hours or three days or three weeks or three months later, we look back at it and like, we're like, dang, I'm still there. I'm still not uh, living the life specifically around prayer that I want to live. Uh, and the goal that we want around prayer is for all of us to have a prayer life that we want to go back to. Okay, there's enough should in our lives as following Jesus, as, fo as Jesus followers, that, that I want prayer for, to be something for us that we not only are disciplined in, but we have a desire and a delight to grow in our prayer lives. And this is a big deal for God. Uh, he calls his house a house of prayer for all nations. That's a quote from Jesus. And it, it's taken from two things from the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible before Jesus, that Jesus grew up hearing about and grew up understanding. And there's one point toward the end of Jesus' life on earth where things were going really poorly in the temple. And Jesus goes in, makes some corrections. And the clarifying statement that he has for people is that his house is not going to be a house of all these other things. It's going to be a house of prayer for all nations nations. And he says this in the book of Mark uh, chapter 11. Uh, this is talking about Jesus. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus walked into the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. 
He said to them, the scriptures declare my, house, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Right, out, right away in this, without going into five hours worth of backstory, Jesus flips over a system that capitalized uh, on oppressing minorities and capitalized on, um, on extorting money from vulnerable people. And he did it to clarify and, and turn and like clarify for everyone the fact that his house was going to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just a house of worship, not just a house of teaching, not just a house of raising up the next generation like is what, what's happening in kids' church right now, but a house of prayer for all nations, for people from all over the planet to come and grow in relationship with God, a relationship that recognizes God as the leader. And the plan here is that this relationship around prayer, this building, this design of basing everything that happens in this place is going to have an effect on us. It's not just going to be something that we do on Sundays when we're here and then just walk away from it, but it's something that has an effect on us because we have closeness with God as we live in his house with prayer. Like, think about it, about the way that you live right now, the people that you live with, if you live with other people, they have an effect on you. They have a change on you. There's things that they do that become part of how you do things. So for Anna and me, we've been married uh, almost 16 years, which means we've lived together almost 16 years. Uh, and a while ago, I had a pair of jeans uh, that had a bad fight with some peanut oil. Uh, and so oil on jeans, uh, I tried to like wash it and then spray and wash and see if that would change anything. It didn't do anything. So the final time, like I pulled them out of the laundry, we were putting away clothes in our closet, uh, and I saw the jeans and the huge stain. I'm like, dang, I can't wear these things anymore because they got a big old stain like right on the front. It's even on the light part, so there's no hiding it. And she looks at me and she says, you know what? That's not really a loss for you. Like those things don't look good on you. They don't belong in your closet. They belong somewhere else. So I watered them up and threw them away because my wife said those don't look good on you, uh, so I'm not going to wear them anymore. And I had another pair like the same color. Uh, they didn't fit as nice. They weren't as comfortable, but they're still the same color. And there's no way I'm going to wear them because the wife says, those don't look good on you. The way that she looks at jeans has an effect on my clothing choice, uh, even though I'm not a guy with stacks upon stacks upon stacks of jeans. Like her way of looking at clothes is rubbing off on me. And when we have, clo we have closeness with God, when we live in his house, that means we begin to think and act and treat people the way that God would as we grow in prayer. Prayer is the conversational part of our love relationship with God. And as we grow in our relationship with God, we're going to treat people differently. When we pray, we're going to look at people differently. We're going to look at situations in our life differently because our closeness with God is going to change things that happen in our life, change the way that we see things, the way that we talk about things, the way that we act towards things. And as we go through life, we're going to have more joy. We're going to have more peace. We're going to have more confidence as we face trials and big things because we're spending time in God's house and we're starting to act like God. We're starting to live like God would create us to live. And as this all happens, we have an enemy, and the devil wants us to be homeless and out of God's house. Like, he wants us to stop praying. If we have closeness and intimacy with God, if we grow in good things as we spend time in prayer with God, then the devil wants the opposite of that to happen. He wants us to stop praying. And I think that's why prayer is so difficult. That's why prayer is one of those things that we keep coming back to that we might have failed a million times, but we're going to try again because prayer is worth it. Which means if it's worth the good, then the devil's going to fight everything he can to make us never, ever achieve that. So here at Sunnyside, we've got a bunch of prayer training events. One of one uh, was what Pastor Greg talked about on news. 
that we want to teach people how to pray and help you build confidence around prayer. Sometimes it's just our own individual prayer life. Sometimes it's the stuff that the prayer ushers do, where people come forward and say, this is a need where I need God to move. And we bring God into it, and we pray about this stuff in our lives. And what we're going to look at on Friday and Saturday, it's going to be the same exact thing happening on two different days. So you can go either Friday or Saturday. You don't have to do both. Is how to pray with someone for them to give their life to Jesus. Like if one of your non-Christian friends, one of the people that you have been praying for, that they're going to come and meet Jesus, they show up at your house one day and they're like, all right, everything's falling apart. I want a relationship with Jesus. Your best option should not be to call me. Your option should be to bring him in, give him something to drink and say, here, this is what it is to follow Jesus. And so being prepared in that, having confidence in that, defeats the schemes of the devil. It gives us confidence. It uses us to do good things uh, in the world as we follow Jesus. And so there are two things that the devil does to mess with us around prayer. And the first one is he distracts us. Like this was even a thing in Jesus' time. In our days, we've got screens, we've got lights, we've got kids, we've got TV, we've got phone, we've got all these things. And in Jesus' day, they had kids. Like, that, that was all. It was all the distractions. There was no screens. There was no anything like that. And Jesus still understood distraction. At one point, he's talking about prayer, and we read this in Reset uh, this week. That's the 20, it's a 20-day book uh, that we're going through that. Just a couple pages a day, it gives us some steps on how to create a prayer life that you want to come back to. Uh, you can pick one of those books up. They're totally for free for Mountain View Sunnyside people uh, in the hub as you walk out today. Uh, but Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says the first thing you should do when you pray is you go in a room by yourself, and you shut the door behind you. He's saying, I get distraction. I understand what it is to start out in prayer and just get completely derailed. So what you do is you go where you can't be distracted. As we work for a distraction-free prayer life. So the way I do it is when I'm, when I'm in the prayer room or I'm reading through Reset this week, uh, I've got a blank piece of paper with a pen next to me. So I'm going through, I'm, something comes up on my phone, something comes up in my head that I need to take care of, and instead of stopping what I'm doing and take care of it right then, I just write it down on the piece of paper and I get to it when I'm done. That's how we grow and we fight against distraction uh, in our prayer lives. The second thing is discouragement. Like all of us, we have a relationship with God because there is a point, there was a point, and there still is a point for all of us where we struggle with sin. Like that's just life. That's part of having a pulse. That's why Jesus had to come onto the earth is because you and I are people who sin. And we know that. Jesus knows that. And unfortunately, the devil also knows that. So he wants to remind us of the fact of how unworthy we are to pray. That if we start again today, you pick up a reset book on your way out and decide, man, this is the year where I'm going to grow in my prayer life. Tomorrow morning, what's going to happen is you're going to get a little reminder from the devil saying, you're not going to do anything this year. You're not going to do anything new. You're not going to change at all. God doesn't want to be part of what's going on in you because you are still you. And the you that is trying to learn how to pray is the same you that did all those things a couple days ago. Like, you can't bring that into God's presence. That's unforgivable. That's unacceptable. You're dirty. You can't do that and pray to God. It's a perfect representation of, of one of the lines in the latest Star Wars movie uh, where one of the characters is talking about the dark side. And, and they say to Ray, I think it is, what the dark side wants is for you to feel like you are alone. And I sat there in the theater and I heard that. I'm like, man, that's a perfect thing that's going to soon be in a message. What the devil wants you to think is that you are alone when you pray. You are talking to the ceiling. The things that you have fallen victim to, the things that you have allowed in your life, they separate you from God. And as you begin to pray, and as you try this year, I'm going to pray more. No, no, no. You're not getting any help from God because you are alone. And that's not from God. 
One thing that prayer does is it brings us into closeness in God's house. It's our conversational part of our love relationship with God. And so as the devil tries to bring distraction and discouragement and convince us that we're alone, we know that with God we're not. We're not even alone as we continue to cry out to God for thing after thing after thing, begging him to work, even if he hasn't for the first 20 times of us asking for it. And there's a story that Jesus tells about how to create a prayer life where we continue to pray and we don't give up. It's like he's telling it to us 2,000 years before we're going to need it, knowing that someday people like us are going to be sitting in a high school theater asking, okay, God, if I'm going to start a prayer life today that's actually going to make a difference, what do I need to know so that I don't give up? So Luke 18, Jesus is telling a story to his guys to, uh, to explain stuff. Luke 18, verse 1. It says this, one day Jesus told his disciples a story about how they should always pray and never give up. He says, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly. Jesus uses that word repeatedly because he wants to say in God's house, we cry out day and night for God's justice. And when she comes to him repeatedly, it's God saying, I see you. I see you. You've got things in your life that you want me to come in and fix. You're carrying injustice that you want me to come in and make right. And you're not going at it alone. You're not headed into this alone. You're not headed into this without God knowing. God says, I see you. And when God sees us, we, we can fight against the devil's distractions and discouragement. That means we fight through repetition. We fight through continuing to ask God to move where we need God to move. I've got four alarms that go off on my phone throughout the day reminding me to pray for things for us, pray for things for me that I can grow in the areas that I need to grow in. And a lot of times they'll go off and I'll be doing something else. And so I'll just silence the alarm and move on and then come back to it later. Uh, and this past week I was doing something. Uh, one of them went off and so I silenced it to work on whatever I was working. And one of the kids was with me. And like, what's your alarm for? What's that one for? Because I know that I have all of these. And I said, well, I was to pray for this and this and this. And I don't remember which one it was, uh, but they said, okay, so you should do that. Like, quit what you're doing and pray, because that's what you're supposed to do. That's how we fight against discouragement and distractions, is by fighting through repetition. Sometimes in our lives, in so many areas, sometimes the biggest victory is just moving on from failure to failure to failure and expecting something to be different. And with prayer, it's the same. We continue to ask. We continue to live out the character in the story who's going to the judge repeatedly asking for justice. We are not bothering God. We are obeying God who tells us to cry out repeatedly. And we come to God, the judge, as our only hope. We go to God with the things that we want to see happening. So the woman, she goes to the judge repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. I think it's great right there. She says that, that the, or Jesus says that the woman goes to the judge. She doesn't go to her friends. She doesn't go to her little circle. She goes to the one person who can actually make a difference in her situation. And that's the judge that decides right and wrong. That's the judge that's withholding justice for her. So she doesn't just go to complain to her friends. She doesn't just put it on Facebook in some act of slacktivism to see something happen. She goes to the person who can make a difference. And for us, when we pray, we're going to the judge of the universe. We're going to God to say, God, I want you to make a difference. I want justice in this area for there to be right where there has been wrong and where I've carried the wrong. I want to see you move. 
And so as we pray, we're going to God, our judge. And Jesus is intentional about mentioning this. It's an invitation into relationship. He's saying, don't just come to me with important things. Don't just come, or don't just come to me, uh, yeah, with only important things, but bring your life to me. You can ask me questions. He's saying the picture of of praying without giving up is continuing to go to God, to have that face-to-face close relationship with God that characterizes his house. And so we refuse to be quiet and be comforted by anything short of justice from God. Verse four, it says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And you and I are never bothering God. You think about the things in your life that you've prayed for. If you've been a Christian this long, or maybe not, you're just praying before you follow Jesus, which is great because God still hears him, God still answers. But things that you've been asking God for for years, for decades, some of you for most of your life, God, I want you to do this thing. And if you ever think that you're bothering God, the truth is you're not, you're obeying God. Because there's one thing that God makes clear when it comes to prayer is that we should never get tired of asking He's not going to be bothered by us continuing to bring things to us because it's a sign of our love for God and also God listening to us is a sign of his love for you and for me. One thing that kids are learning right now in kids' church is the story of Moses from the book of Exodus and how God used a normal person, someone who's willing to say, okay, God, here I am, all my flaws. I'm all messed up, but if you can use me to lead our people to freedom, God, I'm all in. And the first thing that God says to Moses, and this is what they learned about last week, the first thing that God says to Moses to communicate to the people of Israel that I love you is the word, he says to them, I have heard my people. I've heard them crying out for deliverance and I am gonna lead them into a land of freedom. So when you and I cry out to God and continue to bring the same thing to him, day, week, month, year, decade after decade, God sees us and doesn't say, oh my gosh, it's them again. God sees us and says, I hear you. Even if it takes 400 years, like what they learned about in kids' church, even if it takes 400 years for God to answer, we have a God who loves us, a God who hears us, and we can trust that that same God is gonna respond. It's a reminder of his love to us. And when we receive God's justice, God receives glory. When we receive God's justice, God receives glory. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? That idea about putting them off, about not responding. God answers that clearly in the cross. For us as Christians, we absolutely love the cross because the cross is the picture of God saying, I hear you and I'm coming after you and I want a relationship with you. Not the good version of you, not that everything's better and you know stuff's clean and your history is wiped away and nobody's ever gonna know about that again, but the you that exists that we want no one else to see. The cross is a picture of God racing after that version of us. And we remember the cross through communion. Communion is us taking a small piece of bread which represents Jesus' body which was given as an offering for our sin. Our sin that hurts us, our sin that hurts God, our, our sin that hurts other people. 
that separates us from God and makes us unable to have a relationship with God because of our sin. Not because God doesn't like you, but because God can't be in the presence of sin. And so what the cross did that was so foundational, that was so incredible for us, is Jesus took on our place. Jesus took on our sin so we could have a relationship with God. It's a great exchange where we get Jesus' perfection. Jesus takes on all of our sins so that when God looks at you and me, God sees a reflection of his son lived out in our life. God no longer sees your addictions. God no longer sees your habits. God no longer sees whatever happened on Tuesday that made everything go really bad. God sees Jesus. And communion reminds us of that as the bread represents his body. And then the, the juice represents Jesus' blood, which invites us into a new relationship with God. It creates a new covenant between us and God. And so in a little bit, we're going to pray. And we can come forward and we can take communion, which is remembering God's invitation for relationship to us. We look at prayer, we think, Dude, can I actually pray? Does God actually want to hear from me? And the cross, communion, is our huge sign of God saying, yes, I do. I want a relationship with you so much that I'm going to give my life for your freedom. I'm going to give my life so you can have a relationship with me. I'm going to give my life to cover your sin and any type of explanation or reason that you could have to ever make you unclean in your own eyes before me. I've covered it. I want a relationship with you. And so we're going to do that. And then right after that, you can come forward, take communion. Our prayer usher is going to be up here on the last side because, or on the side, because we want to answer the question, what does God want to say to you today about your need for his justice? Jesus concludes the passage. He says, I tell you, the judge will just, will grant, or God will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And part of having faith in God is us bringing our issues to God, having faith that he has a plan, that he has power, that he has a way that he wants to deal with the injustices that we've carried, that he has a way that he wants to make right in the areas where we need God to make it right, that he's going to make it right in his way, on his timing, and in his power as a demonstration of his love for us. So how it's going to work again is the pressures will be up here. You come up and you say, this is the area. This is where I want to see God's justice. And they're not going to tell you, well, this is what you need to do, and this is where you're wrong, and this is how you need to change, and this is, if you did this, everything is going to work out right. They're just going to say, okay, this is what I feel like God is saying to you, my son or my daughter whom I love. Today I want to tell you. And then they'll share with you what they feel like God is putting on their hearts, uh, a word straight from God to you. It could be a verse, it could be a picture, it could be a name or a characteristic of God about how he wants to shine through you in this. And this happens because prayer is, is us talking to God, but also it's God talking to us. And God's saying, as you live in my house, as you experience closeness with me through prayer, I'm going to work in you. I'm going to change your battles. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to remind you of who you are to me, regardless of how much demo of our old life needs to happen before that takes shape. Why? Because we worship a good God. And one of the things that Jesus loves is to remind us how much he loves us. Prayer does that. Prayer grab, grabs our hearts, pulls us to him so we can become more like him so we can understand how much he loves us. Let's stand and let's pray.